there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we are in week two of our series called Noah uh, and His Ark. Uh, the story of God telling Noah to build this big boat and then the animals coming on the boat two by two and then God sending this flood to flood the world and the ark rising above the flood and then Noah getting off the boat and God giving him the covenant rainbow sign. This is a very, very well-known story, perhaps the most recognizable story in the Old Testament, whether you're churched or you're unchurched. And so we're in this series and Last week, we opened it up by looking at the man. We did a character study on who Noah is. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the ark itself. Now, before we do that, before we get into today's message, I want to give a a quick plug uh, for, for those of you who are looking for a family vacation and you're tired of going to the lake and you're tired of going to the beach. Um, so let, let me give you uh, something that I think you and your family w- would enjoy. It's called the Ark Encounter. It's in Williamstown, Kentucky. And so what these guys did up here uh, is they built a life-size replica of Noah's Ark. And it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful replica. Um, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it's easy to get to. Uh, but it, it is just an awesome, awesome experience. And, and not only can you like go and walk around outside of the ark, but you can go inside. And they kind of have it mapped together as to what it would look like um, if Noah had all those animals on the ark with him. And so as you walk in, you can see all these small wooden cages with these little feeding bins. You know, they would put the rabbits and the squirrels and the, and the smaller animals in and and then you get to the portion uh, where you see these cages that are built for some of the larger animals that, that Noah would have had to, to bring on the ark itself. Um, and then they, they, they paint this picture of things I didn't even think about, like all the food and the provisions that uh, you would need for the animals, but also for eight people, uh, because they weren't on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. They were on the ark from six to six months to, to a year. So you needed a lot of supplies. So they kind of paint that picture for you. And then all the water they had to bring on, on board uh, to, to, to hydrate themselves and to hydrate the animals. Uh, and then there's even uh, a rendition of like the sleeping quarters on the top decks. You know, you don't want to sleep below the animals for obvious reasons. You want to be on, on top. Um, but they kind of paint the picture uh, for you there. And so these guys built this replica of the ark. It is very, very fascinating. If you have children, they will not be disappointed uh, because if they don't like the ark, there are all kinds of things to do. You can zip line across the water. Um, there's a petting zoo. There's all kinds of ice cream. I mean, it's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. And so if you want to kind of get the, the feel uh, and the flow of the ark, I encourage you to take your family there, to, to, to just stand at the base of that ark and look up and see how big it is and to, to walk around and kind of get the flow for what life might have been like. Um, I, I highly, highly recommend the trip. 
So with that out of the way, commercial done, let's, let's talk about the ark itself. So we're in Genesis chapter 6. This is our kind of our, our springboard chapter for the entire series. Uh, we've already talked about the character, the man Noah. Now let's talk about the ark itself. We read about it in Genesis 6, verses 14 uh, and following. God says this to Noah. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover the inside and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark is 30 cubits. The breadth of the ark is 50 cubits. The height is 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it a cubit above and set a door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. So if you're looking for like the specs of the ark, we're given the, 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 speci- the, the specs of the ark here. Um, a cubit is a form of measurement uh, that they used, and uh, most scholars believe it is a form of measurement that is between your, your elbow, the, where your elbow is here, and the, and the tip of your finger. That is one cubit. And so it's a little different for everybody because everyone has different size arms. Um, but the guys at the Ark Encounter, these scientists, have estimated that the average cubit is 20.4 inches. So you have this arc that's 30 or 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. And so it, it, you know, a lot of questions kind of spring into mind, just basic introductory questions like question number one, well, how long is 300 cubits? How long was the arc itself? Um, at the arc encounter, they, they, they tell you it was approximately 510 feet long. It's a big boat and it's made of wood. Uh, that's big enough for NASA uh, to lay three space shuttles nose to tail on the, on the upper deck of the ark. So it was a, it was a pretty, pretty substantial boat. People ask, well, how tall was the ark? Um, it was 50 feet from the ground. So to put it into today's perspective, it would be as high as a modern four-story house. So it's very long, it's very tall. And then people ask, well, how much space did they have? Because there's a lot of things they have to bring on the ark. So uh, what was the space capacity um, of the ark itself? Um, The ark had the storage capacity of about 450 tractor trailers. So there's a lot of storage. And and they use sheep as an example. So if you were going to build an ark and you were going to fill it full of sheep, you could get 120,000 sheep on the ark. But luckily, we didn't just bring sheep because I don't like lamb. All right, so uh, we're, we're going to talk about the ark today. Uh, but as far as the specs of the ark and trying to prove to you that this could really happen, that's not the avenue that I, I'm going to go this morning. I, I'm not going to spend the time that we have together trying to prove to you that Noah could have indeed fit all of these animals, hear me, even the dinosaurs, on the ark. I'm not going to chase rabbits and, uh, you know, answer questions like, well, wouldn't the bears eat the sheep and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to do that. 
nor am I going to spend a lot of time talking about the structural integrity of the ark. People like to attack that. There's no way a wooden ship would be able to withstand these, all these hurricane force winds that came in to, to bring the flood. And I'm not going to try to argue with people uh, that say, no way, there's just no way that Noah could build a wooden ship with that much structural fortitude. Here's all I'm going to say. Remember, the ark was built by amateurs and the Titanic was built by professionals. Amen. Listen, when God's involved, anything is possible. And so we're, we're facing this uh, with the presupposition that you believe God's word is true. That you believe God's word is accurate. That you believe God's word is inspired. And everything is in there for a reason, including the ark. And so with that in mind, um, the ark built by Noah is actually... A, a biblical type of the New Testament church. Remember we talked about this last week with Noah. We said that Noah is kind of a picture or a type of Christ, and we kind of went through that. Well, the ark is kind of a picture or a foreshadow of the church. And so we used this picture last week. I know you can't really see it. Um, this is my, my lovely bride, Lindy. All right, and so this is like what we said last week. This is just a picture of her. This is not Lindy. I don't snuggle with this thing at night or, 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 or do anything like that. And if you didn't know my wife, I would say, hey, I want you to, to meet my wife. Uh, here's what she looks like. And so it's a picture of, of things to come. All right, and, and so I say all that to say this. What the ark provided for Noah and his family 5,000 years ago, the church provides for us today. And so I want, to com I want to make some comparisons to Noah's Ark and what we call the church. All right? And we're just going to jump right in. Here's, here's point number one. I'm going to get you out of here early today so you can go watch the Falcons lose again. Number one, both the Ark and the church were planned by God. Like this wasn't like God like uh, catching up on things. He like caught off guard and he just kind of hastily did something. They were both diligently planned by God. So the verses that I just read to you, this is what God's saying to Noah. Um, here's how I want this done. Here's the, this is the materials I want you to use for the ark. Here are the dimensions I want you to use. Here are the instructions how to put it together. Here are the blueprints. So start building, Noah, because it's going to rain. We talked about this last week. He had a three-word sermon. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. So God was planning in, in, in preparation for this flood. So just... As God planned the ark, God planned the New Testament church. This is what the Bible's all about, specifically the New Testament. That's what the New Testament is about, about Jesus coming to the earth to die for mankind and to start his church. One thing I know about God is this, he is a planner, man. God plans things out. He planned for the ark and he planned for the church and he planned both of them for the exact same reason, which leads to point number two. Point number one is both the ark and the church were planned by God. Number two, both the ark and the church were planned by God because they were secure places from judgment. 
They were secure places from judgment. So you don't have to answer this out loud, but in your head, answer this question. Why did God send the flood in the first place? All right. Remember in the text last week, God was so frustrated. He, he was just going to just wipe every, everybody out. But then Noah found favor in his, in his eyes. Why was God going to send the flood? The reason was the flood, and we'll talk about it next week, is a picture of God's judgment. The world was wicked, man. I mean, we think it's wicked now. We're nowhere near how wicked it was in the days of Noah. And so the flood was, is actually an indictment of God's judgment on this cruel, evil, broken world. But those who were inside of the ark were spared from that judgment, weren't they? 1 Peter 3.20, we read this last week, says, Because they formerly didn't obey, these are the people in Noah's day, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the waters. That's the money phrase there. They were brought safely through the waters. So what happened to the rest of the world during Noah's flood? They, they, they died. Those outside of the ark faced God's judgment on this evil world and they perished. But those inside of the ark were safe from judgment. Friends, that is the exact picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The church doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But when Jesus saves you, you become, we become part of his church. We are in the church and we escape God's judgment on sin in this evil world. So all, think about this. All around us, the world is perishing. And here we are. We float on top of it in a little ark called the church. And all that are not in the church, in the ark, will perish. I don't think we think about that enough in our day-to-day -day lives, like that the, that the world is perishing. So I'm fascinated for some reason with the Titanic. Um, I, I think what fascinates me is it's uh, a ship that says it's unsinkable sinks on its first voyage just is fascinates me. And so if you do any study on the Titanic and you study the night that the Titanic sank, um, you, you find some, some very interesting tidbits of information uh, about the Titanic sinking and why uh, so many people died. I didn't know this, but did you know, so the Titanic, they advertised themselves as the unsinkable ship. I mean, and you, I mean before anyone ever got on the boat, you, you heard that. They didn't have social media. They had maybe a put a sign on a cow and walk it through town or something. But they, they advertised that. And so literally... As the boat was going down, you had people saying, listen, we need to get you into the lifeboats. And you know what a lot of people did? I'm not getting in those lifeboats. I paid for first class accommodations. I paid for luxury. I'm not getting those lifeboats. This is an unsinkable ship. And so many people wouldn't get into the lifeboats because they thought the, sh the ship was unsinkable. And then you had a second thing going on. First-class passengers were offered the lifeboats to get into the lifeboats first. And what happened was these first-class passengers, were, when they were in the, in the boats, 
um, they were afraid that if too many people got in the lifeboats, that, that the lifeboats would sink and that they would meet their demise. And so they, a lot of, they refused to let more people get in the lifeboats. And so the net result is this. Those lifeboats on the Titanic, each one um, had the capacity to hold 60 people, but most of the lifeboats left the sinking Titanic with about 15 people on board. And although there were enough lifeboats to save hundreds and hundreds more people, they, they weren't saved because they either refused to use them or they were left stranded on the sinking Titanic. And I want you to think about this for a minute. The, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ provided us a lifeboat that we all must climb aboard. And, and to miss that boat is, is to perish. And so many people today will either continue to believe that the world can offer them happiness and that, that, that their lives are unsinkable, they can do it through their own efforts, or they're left stranded because Christians have been very selfish and not willing to reach out. And here's all I would say about that, man. There is more than enough room at the cross of Jesus Christ for those who are perishing. The church of Jesus Christ has plenty of room for people to come inside and receive salvation. All right, that's point number two. Point number three is this. Both the ark and the church have only one door. There's only one door. Now, don't, I'm not talking about like the physical church here, because between our two buildings, we have 87 doors. I counted them. So uh, all the doors, there's 87 doors here. But, but you know what I mean? There's only one way into the ark. There was only one door. Genesis 6, 16, God says, uh, make a roof of the ark, finish it to a cubit above, and set the door. Only one door on the ark. And so there was only one way to get inside of the ark. In order to make it safely and get in the ark, you had to walk through that door. So the door of the ark is extremely important. So I'm going to throw out an apology for those of you who came to the false study uh, when we did the seven churches on the book of Revelation, because I'm about to use a little bit of that material here. So you can take a little nap. I'll wake you up when we're done. Um, but so we talked about this. All of us have these significant doors in our lives that we walk through. Okay, I want you to think about that for a minute. When you got married, you walked through a very significant door. It may have been the door of a church or the door of a chapel, but you, when you walked through that door unmarried, you came out of that door married. When you walked into the hospital uh, for each of your children's birth, that was a significant door to, to walk through, right? We all have these doors in our lives. Uh, uh, some of the doors aren't very good doors, right? Sometimes you'll walk through a door uh, into a doctor's office and they'll sit you down and say, listen, we've done all we can do. Um, the last door that will ever be closed is, is our casket door. So doors are very, very significant. So let me give you an example. The most significant door I ever walked through in my life were through my grandparents, Vernon and Hazel Barton. Because when I walked through that door, I found acceptance, I found self-worth, and I learned how to fall in love with Jesus Christ. So that is first and foremost, and I learned how to be a man. That is first and foremost the most important door uh, th th that I walk through. So we all walk through, the, through these important doors. And so in the ark, the door is very important because if you didn't walk through that door, you perished. Um, 
we went up there in June, my family and I did. We took a little trip up there. Um, and when you go there, they, they talk a lot about the door and the gospel message of the door. And you can eat, actually, uh, if we can get that picture, that'd be great. If you could stay, you can actually stand at the door and, and take a picture. It doesn't cost you anything like it does at Disney, right? You can just take a picture. Um, you have to stand in line. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you, you hear over and over again when you're up there about the significance of, of this door. So think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus is the single most important door that you'll ever walk through in your life. He said in John 10, 9, these words, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, right? So enter through the door of the ark, you'll be saved. Enter through the door of Jesus into his church, you will be saved. And I want you to notice that Jesus says he is the door, not a door. There's only one door. And so let me ask you a question. You can answer it to yourself. Who closed the door of the ark? Right. So Noah and his family and all the animals were inside. This is a big, heavy door, man. Yeah, God closed the door. God closed them in. Look at Genesis 6 or Genesis 7, 16. And those who, that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. You see, God closed the door. Once people were inside and safe, he closed the door. And so this is the picture that we get of the church, that God opens and closes the door. More specifically, Jesus opens and closes the door. We talked about this in our fall study in the seven churches. There's a church called Philadelphia. I'm going to read Revelation 3, 7 and 8. It says this, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. You see, the devil's been trying to shut the church doors for years, for centuries. And the more he persecutes it, the, the more on fire it becomes all over the world. No one can shut the door. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed them before you, an open door so that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied me. So when I read that, that text, I always have the same question. What's this open door he's talking about? Well, I think the open door is this invitation by Jesus into life with more meaning and life with more purpose. I think it's an open invitation to a, 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 a beauty that we can only possess if we are in Christ. It's an invitation to shelter, safe harbor, and life. And, and, and so listen, Jesus didn't just leave the light on like they do at the Motel 6. He left the door open. And there's a big difference there. This is the cool thing. He left the door open because you, if you're going to a, a place that maybe you've never been and you don't know what's behind that door, wouldn't it be helpful if that door was open where you could kind of like peek in before you walked in? All right, this is the picture we get with Jesus. He says, listen, the door's open. I'm inviting you and I'm telling you, telling you exactly what's on the other side of this door. Eternal life. All you have to do is walk through me, walk through the good shepherd, walk through Jesus. It's an invitation to this shelter in life. 
Because just like the days of Noah, the rain is coming. We don't like to talk about this in the church very much, in the culture that we live in today. But Jesus is not coming back as a, as a gentle lamb, as a sacrificial lamb, is he? When he rips open the sky, he's going to have a tattoo on his thigh, a fire in his eye, sword out of his mouth, and he's coming to bring God's judgment. And the only way we find safety from that is to walk through the door of Jesus Christ and become part of God's family, the church. And like I said, the cool thing is this, the door's open. We know what's on the other side. I shared this uh, a few Wednesday nights ago. Uh, I'm a reader, and in, in, it was either middle school or high school, one of my favorite short stories. And I thought everyone knew this, but I've been talking to people, and no one's, a lot of people haven't heard of it. One of my favorite little short stories was a story called The Lady or the Tiger. Anybody ever read that show of hands? Like, all right, me and three other people. Great, this is going to go over well. Um, it's by Frank Stockton. Okay, and this, let me give you the premise of the story. It's a very short story. Um, it's fictional, and it's this barbaric king who doesn't do things like other kings do. He doesn't have a jury or a judge or a council. When someone, particularly a man, is accused of a crime, they bring him to an arena. All right, And in this arena, there are two soundproof doors. Behind one of the soundproof doors is a lovely maiden. And if he opens that door, then... He marries the maiden right on the spot, and he's presumed innocent. But behind the other door is this ferocious tiger who they haven't fed for weeks. And if he opens that door, he'll be devoured. So in the story, you've got this, this young man. He's accused of a, of, a, of a crime that he didn't commit. All right, and so he's taken to this arena, and, and you know, it's a big climactic buildup. You know, which door is he going to choose? And he's going through it in his mind, and, and finally he makes a decision, and he walks up to the door and takes a deep breath, and he opens the door. And, man, I'm just like on pins and needles on the edge of my seat. What's, what's going to come out of there, the lady or the tiger? Until I read the end. Here's how Frank Stockton ends the book. The last line of the book is this. So he opens the door, but he doesn't tell you, right? And here's how he ends it. And so I will leave it all up to you. Which came out of the open door, the lady or the tiger? I really wanted to know, but I love it because he leaves it to the reader's interpretation. I always pick the lady, and he lives happily ever after. He married a beautiful woman named Lindy. They have five kids, uh, and, and, it, and it all, it all w worked out. Now, so in that story, the lady or the tiger, he had no idea which, which was behind either door. It was like a guessing game. Let me tell you the beauty of Jesus Christ. You don't have to guess. He says, listen, the door is open. I have opened it. I actually didn't just open the door, I am the door, and I opened myself and emptied myself of my flesh and my blood so that you can walk through this door into the ark, into the church, and be saved. So both only had one door. And then finally, both the ark and the church raised their inhabitants out of the water and above the world. Look at Genesis 7, 18, and we're going to talk about the flood in detail next week. 
Um, Genesis 7, 18 says, The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. So the waters were rising and rising and rising, and the evilness of the earth was under more and more layers of water. But as the water increased greatly, the ark floated on the face of the water. So the picture you actually have is those in the ark are, are getting further and further and further away from the judgment and the destruction, and they're raised above the water. This is the same exact picture we get of the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 speak of this coming judgment when Christ rips the sky open. Listen to what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And so the picture we have here is before God destroys this earth with his judgment again, he's going to raise the church up out of the earth before that destruction, before he destroys everything. And I want you to note that God's not going to destroy the, the earth again with water. We're told that he'll do it next time with fire. 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But you see, those inside the church are safe, just like those inside of the ark. But you got to be on the boat, right? you got to be on the boat. You ever heard that phrase, don't miss the boat? Don't miss the boat. When you say that, you're, you're telling someone, listen, don't lose your chance. Don't lose your opportunity to do something. Don't miss the boat. So I'm going to say something that will make sense to some of you, just a very few uh, of you, and the rest of you are going to be like, what? So here's what, here's what it is. I love the beach, but I hate the ocean. Does that make sense to somebody in here? Yeah, okay. Love the beach. Love walking on the beach in the morning with coffee and my wife. Love playing on the beach and building sandcastles. Love going to eat seafood. I love everything about the beach, but I don't like the ocean. I can sit on the beach all day long, but I ain't getting in that water. I'll get in the water up to my knees maybe, but I don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is because I am deathly afraid of sharks. Sharks. And then Discovery puts that shark week on every year during beach season. Why would you do that? Like you're at, I was at the beach one time during shark week and I've watched a few episodes like I'm never getting it. So I don't like sharks. And so... There's a movie that came out several years ago. Uh, some of you have seen it. It's called Open Water. That movie gave me nightmares. For like, I saw Jaws when I was a kid, but this one was even worse to me. So if you haven't seen the movie, here's, here's what happens. A couple decides they need to go on a vacation, and they're going to go scuba diving. All right, so they're on one of these boats that have a dive master, right? And they, and they take them out, and you, know, you get a couple hours to kind of to scuba dive and then everybody gets on the boat and you leave. Well, in the movie, the dive master miscounted 
And the husband and wife, they were kind of off to themselves under the water. And the dive master thought he had 20 people on the boat, but he only had 18 because he counted two people twice. And so they come up out of the water and no one's there. And they're in the middle of the ocean. All right. And sharks begin to start swirling around. She's got like a, a gash on her leg. And so there's blood in the water. And this isn't like a, they're just, oh, we forgot to get them. We'll, we'll turn around and go back. They're in the water like overnight and, and bleeding. And uh, the, the husband gets eaten by a shark. That's, that's all a spoiler alert. Um, but uh, I watched that movie and I was absolutely terrified. I don't like the ocean, man. But also, I, I couldn't help but think, man, that is a picture of our world today. If a person is not in covenant relationship with God, we call that the church, being part of his church. Man, they're swimming around in open water. And there is blood in the water. And the enemy is never described as a shark, but he's described as a lion that is seeking to devour them. And there they are, in, in, just in open water, exposed, when all they have to do is walk through the door of the ark, become part of God's church, and be saved. You see, that is the real message that I want to preach to you today about Noah. I'm not interested whether or not a, uh, a T-Rex could fit on there, and, and, or whether he would destroy it, or, you know, you know, where do they go to the bathroom or these silly questions that, that, that we ask. What I'm interested in you knowing is that there is safety when you walk through the door of Jesus Christ. God is going to judge the world for its sin. But if you are in Christ, there's no judgment. Because we are pronounced clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I simply want to end this message today by inviting anyone in here who is not walking through the door of Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Um, today is the day for you to walk through that door and become part of God's family that we call the church. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.